Before we open God's Word, I want to share a couple announcements with you. We mentioned that we are having a Friday night fireworks show at the Sandbergs. Go ahead and write that address down in case you don't have it. It will probably be on our Facebook page before long, uh, 41015 out in Sio. So put that into your GPS, your phone. And uh, anyway, join us 6 o'clock Friday night, as Lauren said. Yeah, you can stay, bring some food. I think there will be a food cart there, but you can bring your own, bring some lawn chairs. Uh, we've been doing this for a few years. Great time to just chill out, have fun. And then I guess if you want to stay the night there, it's supposed to cool down like low 80s. I mean, it'll be perfect out there. So anyway, we'll have a great time with that. That's one of the announcements I wanted to share. Last week, I came up here and told you another announcement that uh, in the previous week, we had made a job offer to a potential associate pastor candidate. And then I said I would give you an update this Sunday. Today, I want to give you the update that this last week, uh, a man named Cyrus Retman, who that we offered the position to, signed and said, I'm called to be a part of this church family here at Willamette Community Church. So Cyrus and his wife, Kim, and their five kids, they'll be joining us uh, at the end of July, and uh, they might pop in a few times here. They may even be there Friday night at the... Uh, Fireworks at the Sandbergs, I'm not sure on that. But anyway, we're excited about that. This has been a great process. If you have any questions about uh, Cyrus, you could ask uh, our staff, our elders. They have met with him. We uh, had a great time uh, interviewing him and meeting with him. He popped in a couple times last week to uh, sign papers and say hi, and so we're excited about that. One other little announcement I want to give to you. In your worship program is a small, tan piece of paper. I'm going to ask that you grab that. I got that somewhere here in one of my pockets there. This is a uh, ballot for our budget. Typically, we do this at the end of June because our budget year goes from July 1 to the end of June. And so I'm going to give you a little update where we're at. And then I'm going to ask you to affirm the elders who have uh, designed these budgets in our school Christian School Board that designed their budget. But let me give you a little idea where we're at with our finances at the end of the year. Uh, here's an income number and an expense number and then a net number. So uh, if we take the how much has come in, we take out uh, how much has gone out, this is what's left. That may not be what your typical bank account statement looks like at the end of the year. It's not typical for our church, but through our huddles, uh, for the last year. I've been talking about this, that we received some gifts uh, last year around this time, a couple special gifts in wills and final uh, just extra giving. And let's look at the expense number real quickly. Expense number is basically, hey, we spent just a little under what we thought we would, and that uh, we set a budget, and then we try to keep that, and, and that is good. The income being so high, 63% more than what we had planned, was because of some of the special gifts and your faithful giving. Our, our giving had been on track most of the year, but we had a couple special gifts that put us way ahead, nearly $300,000 for the end of the year. That is why we said a month ago we could redo our gymnasium. If you'd gone in there, you'd seen the ceiling tiles falling off and things like that. And we were able to do, we are able to do some special projects because of that. And so that's where we're at. Typically, we don't. Get, I don't stand before you at the end of the year and say, "Man, we're doing that well." But that's where we're at. 
Because of that, let me show you our proposed budget numbers that the elders uh, scripted in the last few months. Our uh, budget for this next year will be $530,300, and that is about 13% more than this last year's budget. And that's a significant jump. Typically, that jump may be anywhere from 2, 3, 4, 5%, 13%. Part of that is we realize that we can use some of our income from adult and teen challenge rent. And we knew that we had some extra projects that we had to do this year with our building. And so we're going to use some of that rent money. And, and so we are planning on uh, us giving faithfully as we have. And so that was the proposed church budget. Many of you have asked, well, I don't know how many of you, but some of you have uh, asked questions over the last few weeks with our budgets out there about these numbers. Let me show you the school's number as well. Our school board presented this to our elders, our elders gave a sign of a, uh, a vote of approval on that, the $1.1 million budget here for the school. That's 5% increase over last year's budget, uh, typical increase. Some of that is due to enrollments looking good. I think we increased tuition about 2 or 3%. Uh, we gave our staff 3% wages. And so, anyway, that's reflected in that. And what I would like you to do with this piece of paper is a circle if you would, either I do or do not support and affirm the leadership proposed budgets for the church and the school as listed below. Uh, we would hope that if you don't support that, you would have told us sooner. But anyway, you circle one of those if you would. There's the church number, the school number. If you know that you're a member of our church, go ahead and mark that box if you would. And then everybody, we would like, even if you're not a member or you're not sure of that, we'd like you to mark these bottom uh, boxes. And again, you don't put your names to these, so we don't know. But if you would make a commitment even before the Lord saying, I will support the church, its leadership and ministries by regularly praying, giving, attending, and serving. Uh, just as a way of saying, yep, Lord, this is my home church. This is where I'm invested. This is part of the kingdom that I'm involved in. And then at the end of the service today, I'm going to ask that you put these in one of the joy boxes on your way out. All right, I'd say any questions, but I don't want them right here, actually. So uh, there will also be on your way out a annual report for each family, and that will give you an idea of what we have been doing the past year. Some of that we hear at the huddles. If you hadn't been at those, uh, then grab that annual report specifically and, and hear from some of our ministry leaders uh, what has been going on this past year. So anyway, we'll save that for the end of the service. All right, that's enough of my announcement part. We're going to continue in what we call summer solstice. Summer solstice. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 today. We're going to get to Ephesians chapter 1 in a bit. Summer solstice. The real summer solstice, spelled S-O-L, S-T-I-C-E, happened this last week. It was when the sun was at its highest point in the northern hemisphere, and that was our longest day a couple days ago. It meant the start of summer. I didn't know that it would mean that we would have a 250-degree day like we did yesterday. It is supposed to cool down, though, I think, today and this week, and I'm grateful for that. Though yesterday, I don't think the sun was 93 million miles away. I think it was closer to like 50 million. It was a little warm. But anyway, with summer starting, we said, you know what? Let's uh, do a little play on words and talk about our soul, S-O-U-L. And so what we started last week, what I want to continue today, is summer solstice, elevating our understanding of the soul 
or our inner person, our inner person. And so uh, let's consider that again today as we elevate our understanding of this inner person, the thing that is really us. Because when you look at each other today, you go, oh yeah, I recognize him. He has no hair or this or that, you know, and we recognize people. But what is truly us is something that we even can't see. Frankly, it's hard to understand how we are doing. If I asked you how you're doing, you might say good based on how your sports team produced recently or did not or how the weather has been. And it's really hard to evaluate, but how is my inner person? How is my soul? And so we're going to spend some time again looking at this today saying, how am I doing this inner person that is affected more than just the weather and diet, but how is my inner person? Our key passage for this is found in Psalm 23. We looked at this last week. I'm going to ask that you say these words with me this morning in a nice, encouraging, enthusiastic tone. Are you ready? Ready, begin. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And this is what we talked about last week, and I, I want you to memorize this passage. And if you have it memorized, I want you to meditate on it. I want you to consider this idea that it is God, the good shepherd, the creator of everything, who is the one who restores your soul, your inner person. There are different things that may make you feel good, but it is God alone who restores your inner person. This last week, I enjoyed the weather, though it got a little hot. I got to quickly fly up to Seattle, visit my son, go to a Mariner baseball game. Those things are fun. But my soul, well, how's it doing? The Mariners don't restore it. Good weather doesn't restore my soul. Nice food doesn't restore my soul. The good shepherd alone is the one who restores my soul. And that is what we're going to look at today. One of the battles our souls fight is this idea of am I loved? Am I valued? Does anyone care? You probably ask this subconsciously a lot. Does anybody notice? You may walk into church and said. Nobody knows my name. You may feel unloved at home, at work, wherever that is. The enemy plays on that and is like, oh good, I want to steal and kill and destroy everything good in you. And so when you question if you're loved, let me just bombard you with some thoughts that you're not loved. God, on the other hand, the good shepherd, Jesus himself says, oh no, I got a different viewpoint for you. I want you to know that you are loved. I want you to know that you are valuable. I want to restore your inner person when it gets hurt, when it gets damaged, when you lead it into bad places. I want to be the one to restore it. The enemy, he wants to ruin it. And so we have this constant battle in us, and we end up drifting from one emotion to the next. Am I loved? Am I cared for? One voice would be the enemy. One voice would be God. And God in this says, I want to hold you firm. I I want to hold you close. I want to restore your soul. 
Here's a question I want us to consider today, and it's this. Where do I find my value? Where do I find my value? You can start answering that question if you want, if you're a writer. Might follow along this question. What's my standing? Where do I fit in? Where do I stand? Where, where do I connect? As I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of first grade. First grade. I remember vividly going to this little public school in Dallas, Oregon in first grade. I remember as a first grader going to the library, and our teacher showed us some books, or the librarian showed us some books. I, I don't have many memories of first grade, but I have this memory, that the teacher showed us this book that just stands out in my brain. It's called Where the Wild Things Are. Some of you remember this book? All right. All right. Do we have, I got a picture of this. Can we show that picture? There we go. All right. Remember this book? All right. I remember, I don't remember the story. I don't even think I read it, but just the image of that. It was just like freaky. And a lot of kids went for that. It had a little sticker on it that said it was a really good book. I don't know the story. I don't care to know the story, frankly. That book stands up, but there was another book that stood out in greater ways in my mind. And it was a lesser known title entitled, She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not. Now this is the book that caught my attention. This is the book that captured my heart. I checked this book out along with a few others. I think I resonated maybe with this guy. And the guy in the story, it's a, it's a little love story. And, and I thought, woo, this is the great section of the library. Until I found out years later there was a sports section. And then I went that way. But before the sports section, I found this little book. And this book is about this guy. He's going through this field and he picks up a flower and he says, She loves me and his life is great. And then he pulls another one off says, She loves me not. And he's crushed. And I don't know why as a first grader, but that story fascinated me. Because maybe little Scotty's walking through first grade thinking, she loves me today. And then the next day, oh, she loves me not. And I just did not know where I stood with some of these cute little first grade girls. And so I loved this book. And we fought for this book. And I checked it out multiple times. I still have this book, actually. I was going through my mom's uh, stuff in a storage unit recently in a garage or something, and I see this book, and I'm like, no way! I totally remember this book! And I checked it out multiple times. Now, here's what I don't know. I mean, I love the story, and I know that I have it, but what I don't know is if I bought it, or they gave it to me because I checked it out so many times, or quite possibly as a little first grader, I just stole it. I don't know. <laughs> but I got the book. The story fascinated me, just this idea, where is my heart? Does she love me or does she love me not? And I think kind of for the rest of my life, I've had this idea, do people love me or do they love me not? Does my wife love me? Does she love me not? Do you love me or do you love me not? Does God love me? Does he love me not? Just this, I don't know, I'm fickle, I'm fragile, there's a debate going on even, I think, in the inner person of this guy in the story. He's just excited one moment. Yes, she loves me. I'm on top of the world. Oh, wait, she doesn't love me. I'm crushed. I honestly don't even remember how the story ends. I got to think it ends good for him or else I would have hated the story, I'm thinking. But anyway, I love this book. I think there was this battle in my own soul of, I want to be loved. I hate it when I don't feel loved. 
I want you to write down a couple things. Where do I find my value? One of the places I think we all look for value is in relationships. Relationships. You may walk around saying, she loves me, yes! She loves me not, oh! And we just go around like this. I feel love today, yes! I don't feel love today, oh! We just spend our time looking for relationships, and then hopefully she'll say that she loves me. I think some people are walking around thinking, if I find the perfect spouse, if I find the perfect spouse, then my life will be great. My inner person will just be in place. And then we have different relationships. We think, if I could find just the right friend, if I could work in the right place and deal with the right coworkers, hopefully they will help me feel loved. Hopefully these people will make me feel accepted. Hopefully I'll find some value in these people. Sometimes, though, we look at in other places to find value. It might be the playground. Even at a young age, we go to the playground. It's like, man, I know how to throw a dodgeball, all right? And, we, you know, I'm feeling good about myself. And then we get hit in the head by a dodgeball, and then we feel bad. Or then, if it's not on the playground, it's the ballpark. All of a sudden, if we hit the ball, it was great. I feel like a hero. If I strike out, I feel badly. By the way, there's a fun softball game tomorrow night. It's in your worship program, I believe. Our blue team against our gray team, massive church collision tomorrow night, all right? Anyway, one team's going to walk away feeling great value because they win. One team is going to walk away with great defeat unless we tie or something like that. But... You and I, we, we've done this. We go to the classroom, and maybe in the classroom you felt great success, or maybe in the classroom you felt defeat. And if it wasn't there, you started purchasing things. You thought, oh, if I can purchase the right car, I feel good, or if I get the right home, I feel good about myself. Or if you lose something, you're just totally devastated. Let's call this accomplishments, if you would. Sometimes we find our value in relationships. Sometimes we find our value in accomplishments. And we go, okay, if I can accomplish this, great. If I can't, oh. If I get this done, I will have succeeded. And the inner person seems great. And if people like what I do, well, then I must be great. And the opposite can be true as well. Maybe you have other answers to where you find your value, but I think a lot of us find our value in these two things, either in relationship or in accomplishments. Let me ask you a question, though. Here's a question for you. Should I find my value in relationships and accomplishments? Just want you to think for a moment. Should I find my value in relationships and accomplishments? Either do this after you've thought about it here for a second. Either just nod a little bit like, yeah. Or, I don't know if it's nodding, but do this and go, no. Which one? You just... You know, as I was thinking about it, I think the answer, should I find my value in relationships and accomplishment? I think the answer is yes. And before you stand up and say crucify him because you don't like my answer, let me explain a little bit, okay? Because I think that God has made this that we should find our value in relationships and accomplishments. Namely, a relationship with Jesus. And namely, in the accomplishments, not of ourselves, but of Jesus. 
I don't think we should walk around and find our value in the relationships with a spouse or how many kids or grandkids we have or how well they're doing. But our relationship is with Jesus. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, yes, you should find your value in that relationship. And in terms of accomplishments, no, it's not looking at your resume and say, I went to this school and I got this and I've done this. But I think we are to find our value in the accomplishments of what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. And so I I have been saying to myself, you know what? I find my value in a relationship. Maybe not the one you think, but in Jesus. And I find my true and deepest value in accomplishments, but not mine. But in the accomplishment of Jesus, what he did on my behalf. The problem is I think our souls are swayed. When we start basing our value on relationships, she loves me, she loves me not, our hearts are swayed. But when we focus on Jesus and say, no, 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 no. My value comes from a relationship with Jesus, that he knows me and that he loves me and that he accepts me. When my value is based in that, then I'm secure. When my value is based on everything that Jesus has done, I can walk around and say, I have great value. The problem is you and I kind of mess this up at times. And our soul, our inner person, it needs an anchor. It needs an anchor to say, where do you find your value? Those relationships? No. That one with Jesus. Your accomplishments? No. That one with Jesus. Let me show you a passage in Hebrews chapter 6. I want you to write this down. It says this in Hebrews chapter 6, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. The writer of Hebrews is speaking of Jesus. It's really a fascinating chapter. Difficult to understand because he's speaking to people with a bunch of Jewish traditions that sometimes we don't know without reading some of the Old Testament. But he's saying this, In Jesus we have a sure and steadfast anchor. When you try to find your value in a bunch of other relationships, it's not a strong anchor. You're trying to hold on to life and find your value holding on to a piece of dental floss that sways in the wind. But with Jesus, he is a sure and steadfast anchor that buries deep into the ground, and that holds us firm. Our soul wants to sway like, I don't know who loves me. Wait a second, he is an anchor for my soul. Relationship with him, the accomplishments of Jesus, this is what anchors our soul. You're going to hear, continue to hear a lot of voices, sometimes even in your own head. You're like, where's this coming from? There will be temptations. Who loves me? I don't think anybody does. It's a question, where is your anchor? Is your anchor in Jesus Christ? Or is your anchor in Somebody else is your anchor in some of your accomplishments. But at times, you and I, we look around for everything but Jesus, don't we? For our value. I do this, all right? I look around and say, okay, my value comes from my wife, my kids, my job, you, But when any of those start to go sideways, and they do at times, I find myself, my heart, my inner person being swayed like nobody loves me. I struggle with that. 
And I have to be reminded, wait a second, what's my anchor? My anchor is Jesus. I got to get back to this anchor. Consider the old hymn, if you would. My hope is built on nothing less than... Some of you know this one. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Jesus, this relationship with him, and his accomplishments, his blood, his righteousness, which have been imposed onto me. That's what my hope is. But you, think about yourself at times. You and I, we say things like this. My hope is built on nothing less than the success of my favorite team. And even when they win, the next year they don't. All right? My hope is built on nothing less than my job until I lose it. My hope is built on nothing less than my kids until they say, I don't love you anymore. My hope is built on nothing less than my spouse until he or she leaves you. You see how if our anchor set in the wrong thing, your inner person, your soul is going to get swayed. My hope is built on nothing less than my physical body until what? You get sick. That's why we're told in Hebrews that there is this sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. It is Jesus. This is the way that God has designed you. To have your anchor in Him. That it be buried deep down in your soul. So when the storm hits, you're like, I'm held tight. I'm connected to the anchor. It ain't moving. I'll be okay. Let me show you another few verses. I want you to write these down. Fascinating passage in Zephaniah chapter 3, a little book in the Old Testament. It says this, that the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is this anchor. This is what God thinks of you, that he's with you. That he saves. Look at these. He takes great delight in you. When no one else you think takes great delight in you, he does. Quiets you with his love because he has a love for you. He actually rejoices over you with singing. It's like, that's my kid. I love him. I got to see my kid, my son, do some work a couple days ago at the airport, and he's doing some work, and I'm just rejoicing. I'm like, I probably look really weird right now. People are like, why is that guy smiling so big? I mean, my face was sore, was smiling, but I was just rejoicing over him, just like, that's my boy. Look at him. It's so great. God does that when he looks at us. You're saying, oh, Scott, no, man, I, I've messed up. No, 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 no. He looks at you through the eyes of Jesus, and he says, Man, I love you. I'm rejoicing over you. If you could only see, I'm like dancing going, man, it's just so great to see my kid. Let me show you another passage in Psalm 136. It says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures for, until you mess up. No, his steadfast love endures forever. In fact, read this psalm this week. Write it down, if you would. Psalm 136. Read this psalm. And when you start to think it gets redundant, figure out why it's getting redundant. The psalmist is trying to get a message to, across to us saying, listen, speak these words deep into your soul, that his love for you, it endures forever. It's not fickle. It's not based on your performance. Psalm 136, verse 1. 
And God knew that his people needed to hear these kind of words, that this God has a great love for you. But God not only knew that ordinary people like us needed to hear this, God the Father knew that his own son needed to hear words like this. Jesus was about ready to go out on this three-year ministry. During this time, people would say, oh, you're the bomb, baby. And there were going to be times where they were going to say, we hate you, we want you dead. And if Jesus was basing his opinion on these people, one day it was like, man, they they love me? Uh, Maybe they don't. And there are days they're going to say, oh, you're amazing. We will follow you. And then there were days saying, no, we don't like you. We think you're from the devil. And if Jesus' anchor for his own inner soul was the opinion of others, he would have been so confused. But before he goes on his three-year ministry, he hears from the Father. Jesus heard from the Father. Look at this passage in Matthew chapter 3. It says this. A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God the Father said, i got to make sure my Son knows this. He's going to hear a lot of voices. He's going to hear people say they love Him, but they really don't. There will be people that say they love Him, and they're going to turn their backs on Him. There are going to be people who say they love Him, and they'll sell Him for some pieces of silver. My Son needs to know this, that I love Him, that I'm pleased with Him. I'm already pleased with him. Now, if Jesus had to hear that message from the Father, don't you think you and I have to hear the exact same message? And if you and I only look for that message from our spouse, from our kids, from your coworkers, from your friends, guess what? That message will be there some days and not the other. It's not an anchor for your soul. An anchor for your soul is, nope, that God is with me, that he loves me. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. He actually sees me as son or a daughter with whom he, he is well pleased. He loves me. You and I need to hear that voice over and over and over. Because what happens when your spouse leaves you? You say, oh. What happens when a longtime friend hurts you? Oh. What happens when you feel rejected and unloved? Oh. What happens when you get cancer? You see, if your value and your identity is wrapped up in a person or in people, you're going to be crushed. You're going to be crushed. We've probably all been there. We're probably all going to be there again. Maybe you're there today where you just put in a little too much value in what somebody else thinks of you, where the anchor for our soul is actually Jesus. I was reading a book recently about a pastor, and he wrote some thoughts about his soul, and then he wrote these thoughts, and I totally resonated with them. I wrote them down. I've tried to start using this language in my own life. But he said this. Let me read it to you. He says, I want people like me, even to love me. But if they don't, Jesus loves me, and my value and identity has been made secure by Jesus because he died for me. Did you catch that? I I like that because I know for myself, I want you to like me. I do. I I want you to love me. And I'm not saying that you don't. 
But I put a little too much value in this at times. I leave here on Sunday sometimes and think my value is on how I performed or what you may have said to me on the way out. How silly is that? But I do that at times. I think you do that at times too. I went to church and no one said hi. I went to church and so-and-so just totally ignored me. I just hate my life because my spouse just didn't talk to me. Whatever it is. I think you and I place a little too much value on these things. Could we start saying something like this? God, I want them to like me, whoever them is. I actually want them to love me. But even if they don't, you love me and that's enough. You want to write that down? I'll say it again if you want. What if we could start talking like this? God, I want them to like me. In fact, I want them to love me. But even if they don't, even if they don't, you love me and that's enough. You've proven that at the cross. Could we learn to think like that? Maybe some of you do. I struggle to think like that. I forget to think like that. And instead of my soul being anchored to Jesus, my soul gets tied to others. And it feels like instead of being held on by an anchor, I'm being held on by a piece of dental floss. Literally, it's like it's just flying around. I'm like, man, this is just not connected to anything. I mean, I love my wife and she loves me. But sometimes we kind of bug each other and hurt each other, right? And I can say that with many of you, that we have a relationship, and then sometimes I bug you, and you bug me. And, and if my anchor is with our relationship, that's eh, going to struggle. But when it's with Jesus, it's like, oh, okay, Jesus, I know you love me. And because of that, I know that I have great value in your eyes. And I believe that's where soul restoration is going to come from, when we ask this question, where do I find my value? The Lord, the good shepherd, restores my soul. He is the one saying, I want to show you your value. You don't have to find it in other relationships. You don't have to find it in your accomplishments. You can find it in my son, Jesus. Now, I told you we'd get to Ephesians 1. We're going to quickly go through Ephesians 1. And frankly, I just want to start something that hopefully you would work on the rest of this week. Ephesians chapter 1, I want to show you some truths here that will be anchoring for your soul, for your identity. Understanding your relationship with Jesus Christ, understanding your accomplishments that you have in Jesus. We'll say it this way, that the standing for a believer in Jesus Christ is in Christ. If you are here today and you say, you know what, I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, then your standing is in Christ. And in this book, Ephesians, this small letter to a church, the Apostle Paul said, I want you to know about your relationship with Jesus. I want you to know that you're connected to him, that you have a relationship with him, and that your accomplishments mean nothing really, but his accomplishments and your connectedness to him are the ones that bring you great value. So let me walk through some of this with you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Follow along, if you would. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or praise be to Him, who has blessed us in Christ. You can go ahead and underline in Christ. 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Write these words down if you would, if you're taking notes. I'm blessed spiritually. I am blessed spiritually. I am blessed in ways that I cannot even see. In fact, I think as Paul starts this letter, he says, you are blessed in such great ways, it's going to take you a lifetime to unpack. You're starting to understand some of your spiritual blessings now. You'll understand them as you mature. You will understand them greater ways when you are in front of God's presence for all eternity. But Paul says, I want you to know that in Christ, in a relationship with Christ, you are spiritually blessed. Go down to verse 4, if you would. Even as he chose us in him, there you go, you could underline that, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us in him. Look, write this down if you would. I am chosen from long ago. This is part of your identity. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is part of your identity, that you have been chosen from long ago, that he picked you. He said, you know what, I want you, and I want you into my family. And it's not just any family, it's the greatest family of all time. It's the greatest family that will last forever. And God says, I actually picked you into this family. The language in the next few verses would talk about adoption. Like, you know what, I I went and did all the legal work, and I adopted you. I said, I included you into my family. In case you think, ah, I just chose Jesus. No, long before that, he had plans to adopt you into his family. That should give you great value. I got adopted into his family? Go to verse 7, if you would. In him, you can underline that, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. I'd like you to write this down, that I am purchased from bondage. I am purchased. He talks later about the fact that we were all born with a sin nature and that we were actually dead in our sins. And the idea is that he took us back. He said, these are my kids. I want them. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to take them back. That he did that for you. When you start thinking, I don't think anybody loves me, thinks about me, cares for me, go back to this letter in Ephesians 1 and just write all the ways that you are in him and what God has done for you. I'm purchased from bondage. Go down to verse 11. In him, you can underline that again, in him, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I want you to write this down. I am receiving God's riches. Uh, I can't even fathom that. I don't know what you may have been left with from your parents or grandparents. Maybe it was actually debt that you were left with. I don't know. My kids will probably inherit some baseball cards that they won't care about, things like this. But you and I, in a relationship with Christ, have received God's riches. The God who made everything. This week, just go out when there's a clear sky. Look at the stars and think, okay, there's a God who made all of this. He has great riches And I'm getting some of that now, and I'll get this for all eternity. That's what I've been given. Am I loved? Yeah. Am I cared for? Yeah. Am I noticed? Yeah. Go to chapter 2, if you would. Chapter 2, we see this in verse 6. 
we've been raised up with him and see, and seated uh, raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You can underline it again, in Christ Jesus. This idea that I'm seated with Jesus. Here's Jesus at the right hand of the throne of God, and we are seated with him. That's our position. I don't know what it was like for you in middle school or high school, walking into the lunchroom like, Oh, man, anybody want to sit with me today? Who should I sit with? Uh, Nobody notices me. I mean, maybe you were the cool kid. I certainly wasn't. But this idea that I get to be seated with the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, why? Because he loves me and he values me. Where's my value? (laughs) It better be in him. Go to chapter 2, verse 10. We'll hit a few more of these. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Go ahead and underline that. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I like that word workmanship. And I want you to write this phrase down. I am poetry designed by God. Because that word workmanship is actually where we get the word poem. I am God's poem. Now, I'll tell you, a poem is thought out. It's not just thrown together. A poem takes creativity. It takes thought. God says, okay, I got this poem here, and I'm going to make you this way, and I'm going to put you in this place for this time because, oh, I've got a story to tell. I've got a work for you to do. You're my poem. You're beautiful. I take pride in it. I wrote a poem about 25 years ago. It's in my office. I care for this poem. God says, you know what, I see each of you as my poetry. I'm writing you to do great works. And that's because I value each of you. And when you start thinking, oh, I don't know, is anybody? Listen, God loves you. Your poetry designed by him. Skip over to chapter 4. We're not going to hit all of these. You can read this letter and, and find the other in Christ passages, but let me just show you one in chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ, go ahead and underline that, in Christ forgave you. Write this down if you would. I am forgiven of all my sin. This is what Paul is trying to say. Let me speak of your value. Let me tell you what you have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you are forgiven. That God's not holding your sin against you. He's not holding the sin of yesterday against you, of 10 years that you committed against you, the ones that you would commit. He's saying, I want you to know you're standing here. I'm not looking at your resume, is what the Father says. I'm looking at the resume of my son. And when you connected with him through faith, I just look at his resume. And you're forgiven. Whew. I don't know what you're thinking, but it's like when I start, hmm, what's my value? What do, what do people think of me? For a minute, forget what some people think about you. That's not an anchor for your soul. The anchor for your soul is what Jesus thinks of you. It's the relationship you have with him. It's based on his accomplishments. Jesus, what he did is he took on all of our sin. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. He loves you. That brings you great value. You can walk around going, 
me. Certainly not to boast, but to have value in life. I, I'm valuable to God. My co-workers may not see it. My neighbors might see it. My family might not see it. I can't seem to find the right girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse or whatever it is. But those aren't anchors. Your anchor has to be Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. So here's the question again. Where do I find my value? Where do I find my value? I think you're going to continue to wrestle with that all the days of your life. I think we all will. Asking, am I loved? Does anyone love me? Does God love me? I simply want you to write this phrase down and spend the rest of your life working through this and processing this, that my value was settled at the cross. My value was settled at the cross. If you're wondering what value you have, God said, you have so much value in my eyes that you are worthy of my son's blood. That's pretty amazing. That, could cause, that should cause you to walk around and say, you know what? Some of these other relationships aren't going well, and I probably can work to restore them. But in the meantime, my value has been secured at the cross. God has said, you are valuable. So valuable that my son, his blood, it was worth it. I loved you that much. That's humbling, blows me away. That's the anchor that if you would hold on to that, you'll be okay. You'll understand he's restoring my soul as I anchor up with him. I'm going to ask you to just bow your head with me for a bit and reflect. Maybe you're a writer. Go ahead and write some things. Well, let's just reflect on this for a bit. Maybe think about this last week where you found your value or where you've found your value in the last all of your life. Trying to please somebody. Trying to be heard. I love you. And I hope you're seeing that unless it's Jesus, it hasn't been an anchor. Unless it's Jesus, it's going to wear you out. Your soul's going to keep wondering, does he love me? Does he love me not? Does she love me? Does she love me not? But we don't have to worry about that with Jesus. He said, I, I loved you to the point that I'm going to the cross on your behalf. And in a relationship, you are blessed spiritually. I've chosen you from long ago. I have purchased you from bondage. I'm giving to you the riches of God. I've seated you next to me. You are poetry that I designed. You are forgiven of all your sin. God, I'm just blown away by that. And I would ask that you would help me and my brothers and sisters to find our anchor in you. 
that you would restore our soul as we come to you and say, you're the only voice that truly matters. Certainly, husbands, we are to love our wives. Wives, we are to love our husbands, and we are to love all people. But God, when we feel unloved, when we feel like nobody likes us, in those times, would you help us to hear your words, even the words you spoke to your son. You're my son. You're my daughter, whom I love. I'm committed to. I'm pleased with you. Not because of your resume, but because of my son, Jesus. Father, for those of us who have believed in your son, who've trusted in your son, today would you just recenter us to our anchor? Would you help us again to realize that our resume is the resume of Jesus? That's what we hold up. And God, there may be people here today who said, I don't trust Jesus yet. I'm just trying to be good or whatever it is. God, would you help these people to see that their soul needs an anchor that is deep, firm, sure, and steadfast, and that it is Jesus And by simply saying, Jesus, I trust you, I need you, that you come in and change everything. You wipe away our sins. God, give faith today for people to say that even for the first time. And would you help us, help our inner person, help our soul to know that we are deeply loved to speak that to us over and over that you delight over us. Help us to give thanks because your love endures forever. Help us to open up your word this week, whether it's reading Psalm 136 or the whole letter of Ephesians or whatever it is, just to find these passages that speak to your love for us and help us to live in that love. So I thank you for this time today. I thank you how this time has helped ground my soul, ground our soul for your glory, for the sake of others. We pray this in Jesus' name.